0: Welcome back to another edition of the Cats Illustrated podcast. I am Justin Rowland, the uh, publisher, and usually host uh, this podcast. And I'm joined by, you know, our right hand guy, Jeff Drummond, managing editor of Cats Illustrated, photographer, does a little bit of everything, and does it extremely well. And we are talking here on Tuesday night about 8 p.m. Uh, Jared Casey just decommitted from Oregon on the football recruiting side, and Kentucky's. Football regular season just wrapped up, so plenty to talk talk about tonight. Jeff, how are you doing, man?
1: Doing well, Justin, doing well. I, it's kind of hard to believe that you know we've got a, a coating of snow outside here in Lexington, and we've wrapped up somehow 12 weeks of football in what feels like three or four weeks. I, I, I swear it feels like the season just started.
0: The season goes by so quickly and I feel like college, college football the season is relatively short com- compared to some other sports out there but it's compounded by the fact that there are so few games and like it seems like a third of them are just games that I can't even get excited about. I mean I can't I maybe it's just me but I have a hard time getting excited to watch like an FCS team against an SEC team or something like that and I think that just adds to it. But um just be- before before I get, I get into Anything else? I did want to stay on that theme. What, what just Kentucky season nine and three? Um, yeah, I guess their best regular season since what nineteen seventy seven. Also, the the first time since that year that Kentucky finished with a winning record in the SEC. Um, just your your first and lasting impressions of uh, what you saw from Kentucky this year. Oh, well, it's it's
1: just been amazing when you put it in historical context, and and I look back at the beginning of the season when when all of us on the staff made our predictions, I went with a really safe pick. I said six and six. And my main reason for that was I just don't know what they're gonna get from the quarterback. And I thought maybe they could get to seven or eight wins if Terry Wilson uh, was as good or better than expected and some things fell their way, but not in my wildest dreams. Did, did I see a 9-3 and three season coming from this team this year? And They're just really to be saluted and, and commended for that.
0: Yeah. I, I thought, you know, every year when we ask people on social media or the discussion pops up, like, there are, there are some fans who are like, well, this is the 9-3, and 10-2 year, and, you know, you kind of roll your eyes because I guess I, I tend to be either, either a little bit more pessimistic in general or I guess what, what I would call a realist, and I thought everything would have to break – Perfectly for Kentucky for a season like this to happen, not just like this year, but really pretty much any year. And um, you know, barring something that I didn't, I didn't realize, but they actually had you know room to do better. I think I, I'm not one of those people who said they should have won more than nine games. I thought they just they, they probably should have lost to Missouri, and that kind of cancels out the stinker they they threw it against Tennessee. But I mean, they they had a chance at ten wins this year, so. Yeah, that is really, really impressive. But I, I did want to ask you about that Tennessee game. Has your opinion of that Tennessee game or the way that you think about it changed at all, given how they played the last two weeks of the season after that? Or, or is it still just as inexplicable and a, and a punch in the <laughs> gut as, as it probably seemed like?
1: You know, not so much because, you know, I kind of thought what we've seen from Tennessee of late, that is who they are. And that's, that's who they've been all season long. With a couple of minor exceptions where they rose up and, and, and played above that, I think the Auburn, the Kentucky game, maybe may another example somewhere in there. But, you know, that's a tough one because looking back on it, when it's all said and done, Kentucky would have been in a New Year Six type bowl game. And it's, it's not to be, you know, not to have gratitude for where they're going to be because that's a big achievement uh, for the program, no matter if it's out back or Citrus looking like Citrus, which would be awesome Uh, but you know it it was a missed opportunity against a team that's really not very good and just getting beaten uh, so decisively as they did late in the season with very little time on the schedule to make up for it or to play anybody after that point who would move the needle uh, I think is the most disappointing part of that
0: I found myself tweeting after Vanderbilt beat Tennessee 38 to 13. Like I I found myself tweeting, you know, maybe that went over Vanderbilt, which was so ugly and so frankly boring and conservative because of the weather. Like, hey, Vanderbilt 6 and 6, 3-win SEC team, maybe maybe it uh, was was not a second half of the season collapse game. And then I caught myself. I'm like, "Well, they lost to Tennessee." So, it's kind of a kind of a double-edged sword. Um I, don't, I didn't get it I think the, I think go ahead go ahead. I was going to add just
1: one thing to that whole equation that's kind of stuck with me that Mark Stoop said maybe two or three weeks ago and, and he's right. I know it, it may have bothered some fans because a lot of times people hear things and they automatically say quit making excuses. But if you look at it, with the exception of a program or a team like Alabama and they may be the only ones this season Alabama or Notre Dame. Even though I could argue against Notre Dame with some individual performances, but everybody in college football has had their Tennessee game that that Kentucky did almost without fail. And there's going through twelve weeks of a college football season, even the good teams trip up <laughs> and don't play their best against somebody. Unfortunately for Kentucky, it was just that week against Tennessee.
0: That's a great point, and that, that's why I think I think I said earlier this season, you know, Kentucky didn't play great against Central Michigan. It's like I would almost rather a team get that clunker out of the way in a game that, you know, isn't that big of a deal. Or like I said, it's kind of like being in the NCAA tournament. You want your, you know, O for 15 three-point shooting game to be in the first round game against a 15 seed and just kind of get out of the way. Unfortunately for Kentucky, the letdown game after that Georgia game just happened to be against an opponent that it makes people sick to lose to. But, I mean, wouldn't you agree, other than that, the schedule this year set up really in a helpful way considering the bye was right in the middle of the season. They had two very beatable opponents at the end of the schedule to bounce back and maybe change perceptions again. I thought otherwise, the schedule set up really well for them this year. Yeah,
1: it really did. I think the only... You know, bad favor it hand Kentucky
0: was probably having that Tennessee game after the Georgia game. Right. Yep. But other than that, all the dominoes kind
1: of fell uh, the the way you would hope they would at the beginning of the season.
0: I think you were um, you were a little bit higher. Just our game by game predictions. You tended to um, pick Kentucky to win more often than me this year. And come the end of the year, I think you were probably closer to the to the actual win total. I think you did expect the, the Louisville game to be a little bit closer than it turned out to be and I would assume that's that's probably because the rivalry game and Kentucky just had not looked like the same team that they were earlier in the season. Maybe you just gave Louisville a little bit more credit than they than they deserve. But just what did yeah. you what do you think about that? I mean Louisville what a mess, but it's really shocking to see the second biggest point differential in the history of this rivalry on Saturday. It was pretty amazing.
1: What you know as someone who's followed kentucky's program and for a long long time i've seen some pretty bad defense (laughs) over the years but i I have seen nothing as as bad as what louisville put on the field this season defensively and i probably gave too much credit to the the rivalry factor i think i only
0: picked kentucky to win by 17 or 18 basically covering (laughs) yeah (laughs) which would basically be covering not in my wildest dreams
1: you know that i think you know, almost fifty point margin, but you know, Louisville. I, I think Kentucky could have played a bunch of backups, right, and still still put a big number on the scoreboard. They're that bad defensively. And to compound things, when they did find ways to slow Kentucky down a little bit, they did the dumbest things with in terms of penalties to help extend drives and and you know, just lack of overall discipline. It was
0: it was almost as just a football fan in general. It was hard to watch. Yeah. I mean we, we talk and we write and we, we do Kentucky, but inevitably Louisville is gonna be a topic that people are talking about. And I might think that it's not as important to Kentucky as some fans some do, but I totally understand why somebody would say you just don't understand. It's it's important, that's our biggest rival. We're right in the middle of the the Jeff Brom hysteria and I wanted to Wanted to get your take. I mean, obviously, reports that uh, that Louisville met with Brom earlier today, and whenever this goes up, you know, where the situation might have changed. But I mean, I think it would be it would be a good hire, great hire. Um, I think maybe the hype has maybe exceeded the reality of what he's produced a little bit so far. But Purdue was just a total train wreck before he got there, and. While they haven't won 10 games in a year, I mean, they've certainly, their trajectory has reversed. But what do you think about the the Brahm or just the coaching situation there?
1: I would be pretty surprised if he's not the coach there when all is said and done. I I think it's as close to a done deal as as probably you could get, even Mm -hmm. though, you know, there have been some people suggesting, you know, hold off, maybe not. I just think there are too many factors at play and too many heartstrings tugging at him. Uh, to prevent him from from coming back home to lead that program. But while I think it would be a a really nice hire for them and it would get their program back on track, I don't see it the way some people see it in the state as far as thinking it negatively affects Kentucky a great deal. Um, Because even though Brom's going to get his share of of recruits, he's probably going to do much better in the city of Louisville than, than Bobby Petrino did. I mean basically one of my pets here at the house (laughs) (laughs) might be able to recruit better than Bobby Petrino at times just based on personality alone Uh, but I don't think it's going to set back Mark Stoops and Vince Marrow and and those guys uh, who've done a fantastic job of recruiting and developing people I just think it's going to elevate this rivalry overall to where the teams are back on, on more of a level playing
0: field. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think there are enough good players to go around, and I don't think the, the city of Louisville might have some important players. But recruiting is not like it's not like if you miss one guy, you don't get anything. It's like you go on to the next, and you don't know whether option A or option B you know, three out of 25 guys in a class, however many they're recruiting from Louisville in a year. The the overall impact doesn't seem to be huge. I guess the one thing is, and Stoops probably isn't going to lose any sleep over this, but the narrative is going to probably get out of control, and it's going to get legs, and it's going to become like this, this, you know, surge of of just public opinion. He's going to be kind of a big figure in the state. He's not going to be a giant in the state the same way Calipari or Patino were, but, um... It's it's something the perception thing, and maybe if Kentucky has a down year and Louisville has an up year, and everybody's talking about Jeff Brom, that's the kind of thing that maybe add to his to to a stoop's headache a little bit more. But yeah, I don't see I don't see it being a game changer for Kentucky uh, in the least. But I, I wanted to ask you this: um, How much stock do you put into how Kentucky played the last two weeks of the season? I mean, do you do you think obviously it looked like the, they were kind of in another tailspin? After the Tennessee game, two losses in a row, it was getting ugly. The offense had been really bad since the first half of the South Carolina game. Do you think that it was... I'll give you three options. Was it just that they were playing overmatched teams? Was it that they got better again all of a sudden and everything's good now? Or was it they're good now because they were able to find their footing against overmatched teams? What what do you think you would attribute it to?
1: Yeah, a, a little bit of both. Um, first of all, let's take the, the Georgia game out of the last you know, the last third of the season. Georgia's just that good. Yeah. I mean well, let's not read too much into that. That's where their program is right now. And that was that game was a true reflection of the two programs where they stand right now. So I kinda tossed that one out. And then you have the weird kinda game where Kentucky was thought it could just show up and beat Tennessee. Um, but after that, I was really impressed with what he did with their other two opportunities. And they didn't treat them just like, oh, let's get to the finish line, let's get this season over. They really looked to me like a team that was still trying to evolve and get better on the offensive side of the football. And We saw maybe Terry Wilson's best game in that last one against Louisville, and even though Louisville's defense is historically bad, like we talked about earlier, you saw a quarterback that was really making decisive reads and passes and throws, letting it rip. How many times did we hear that from either uh, Mark Stoops or Darren Henshaw, Eddie Grand, Terry himself, all season long? He's just got to go out there and let it rip, let his natural talent take over. I think he did that against Louisville, and that's going to carry over into this bowl
0: preparation, he should be a guy who goes in a bowl game with a lot of confidence. Yeah. What What do you think the improvement was mostly due to? I, th- I kind of I felt like the trajectory of <coughs> Wilson's season was he was who I kind of expected early in the year. I mean, he didn't get the job in the offseason or in, the, in camp because he was like the steady, you know, Mr. Consistency, probably. He got it because he, uh, he was the high upside guy. He was the dual threat guy. He probably had shown the coaches more passing than people anticipated, but I think we knew there were going to be ebbs and flows. He threw some picks. He was, you know, fantastic against Florida. Then it seemed like he ran into a wall. I think maybe the Texas A&M game, they, uh, they maybe played him differently. They, they closed off the running lanes. They didn't send the house after him, and they said, okay, you're not going to run. You've got to beat us with your arm, and it took several weeks for him, And I think he was still kind of jaded by those interceptions and turnovers early in the year. So he was reluctant to, to make those aggressive throws that would have, you know, been more high risk, high reward. It wasn't until the end of the year when he finally, I thought it was a turning point when he rolled left against, uh, middle Tennessee and threw across his body back to the middle of the field, a terrible throw that should have been intercepted. But I thought it was a good thing for him. That he trusted <laughs> right. CJ Conrad to go up and make that catch. and, and, you agree with that assessment they, of his season?
1: They have asked him to take some more chances like that. Even
0: though that was a play, you probably had the same reaction as me watching it.
1: No, no, no. Yes. Right, yeah. <laughs> it was one of those deals. And I think the staff was fine with it because, like you said, he he made an athletic play and he put it up there and he trusted his you know future NFL tight end go get it and do something with it. And and I do think that made him maybe a little more bold uh, to move forward and to, to let it rip in that uh, game against Louisville.
0: Right. And it certainly helped that Middle Tennessee and Louisville obviously are not going to be able to pressure the quarterback like, like a lot of the other schools that, uh, that Kentucky faced this year. But I thought it was a really good sign for him. And obviously on that topic, Danny Clark announces his transfer today. I don't think especially after Clark's father had kind of, you know, made it clear on social media in a couple of ways that he didn't think Danny should be there next year, that it was a, it was a huge shock. Did you have any thoughts on him, him deciding to, to part ways with the program?
1: Yeah, it was one of those deals where I, I thought he had some potential, and I would have liked to see him develop and, and maybe get a shot someday. But I, I totally understand where he is as a player, uh, you've got this limited opportunity. Uh, if you love the game, you want to be out there playing to, to do your thing, and it looks like Terry Wilson has submitted himself. You know, as Kentucky's quarterback for the next uh, two seasons. Uh, you know, you know, good luck to him is what right. I say. I, I hope things work out and go well for him. Uh, probably going to see the same thing happen with Gunnar Hope. You know, my gut tells me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would, it would be difficult to, to see him sticking around. So all of a sudden, you're going to have a little bit of angst about Kentucky's uh, quarterback depth. But, you know, when you look around the country, this is the way most people have to operate. I mean, it's just kind of one of the things Hal Mummy said that I totally agreed with when he was here was
0: quarterbacks were made to transfer. Yeah. And it's th- just a fact of life. you to got to deal with it. That's become an even bigger trend in college football since he's left. He was definitely ahead of the curve on that as well as other things. Um, I I did hear today from someone, maybe it was already out there, but they wanted to reiterate that Hoke has applied to graduate in May. So, you know, that would mean he would be around Kentucky at least until May. And then he's going to pursue a master's degree. And the question is whether he's going to pursue that master's degree at Kentucky or somewhere else. I will say, I mean, I think some people were kind of upset because they perceived hoax parents kind of like Clark's dad to um in some of the tweets they liked and this is how close public scrutiny has gotten of people who you know don't want to be public figures they just are protective or supportive of their kid um they just assumed he was gonna leave and I think he very well might but I think we had to give Gunner, Gunner, you know credit during a time when Kentucky lost a lot of quarterback commitments and struggled with loyalty and things like that. I mean, he's been very loyal through his time as a recruit and at Kentucky, but I think your, your speculation is probably right. I mean, I would imagine they'd have to bring in another quarterback just uh, I mean, you can't go into a season next year with Terry Wilson, Walker Wood, and two freshmen who might be promising, but aren't the kind of guys that are going to arrive with immediate expectations. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, we, we talked about that a few of us after, uh um, John Calipari's press conference today went to get some late lunch and, and that came up, you know, what's it looking like uh, for Kentucky, you know, their plans after this, if they lose Hoke as well. And I wonder, do they go back and try to find another Juco guy? But that's a tough sell uh, when you've got a guy that's going to be your quarterback probably for the next two years. Uh, how do you sell a guy for the Juco ranks who are you know generally looking like Terry you know, last winter yeah, to, to come in and make that immediate impact. Do you have to find a guy that's more of a project type in a, the high school class, the current one? Maybe he's got certain types of flaws that will keep some of the bigger programs off of him, and Kentucky has to roll the dice and say, you know, let's see if we can develop him um, given the, the time we have uh, due to Terry Wilson.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah, Wilson, I think, on, on the whole, I think Wilson definitely exceeded my my expectations this season because of how he, he played in the second half of the year. I think maybe some of the numbers in the second half, like against Missouri, and some of those teams, were they, they were a little bit fool's gold um, at times because either the defense was in you know a prevent mode or a, they were playing a very soft zone zone, our situations kind of, I think, helped his numbers. And at the same time, he was so reluctant to make those aggressive throws that even when he got the yards, he wasn't really creating the big plays. But I think, on the whole, it's got to be considered a positive uh, first year for him. And, yeah, I mean, this staff likes these offseason quarterback competitions. They certainly don't shy away from them. But, I mean, it's safe to say that if Gunnar Hoke were to return, this would still be Wilson's job in the offseason. <laughs>
1: I knew where you were heading there with with that one, and and part of me wants to believe that we would have another (laughs) quarterback competition. I know they're
0: probably going to say that if he elects come back. It would be a joke. Because that's that's just kind of their
1: standard operating procedure. All positions are open, yeah. you know, competition year-round. But it would be maybe like the first time, who, who was the last Kentucky quarterback that
0: didn't didn't have know, to the win the, the job like in spring? an off-season battle? It, it I, I can't my remember who it was. Maybe it's Mike not, Hartline? Uh,
1: maybe so, yeah.
0: Wow. Well, what th- are we
1: talking about? Uh, seven, eight years more?
0: Yeah, it was about eight but, years ago, what, 20, 2010, 2011, <laughs> so... That's a Kentucky thing, and now junior college quarterbacks are a Kentucky thing. You know, junior college quarterbacks, a winning record in the SEC over the last three years, so maybe that was just the problem with Kentucky football. They were recruiting from the wrong pool. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, let me get your thoughts on the offense. Um, I, I am too quick to respond on social media to the most extreme voices that are out there, and it, and I realize that's a character flaw. Um, I don't think anybody would argue that this year, if Eddie Grand were like, you know, called to account for his career, this would be the year that he would highlight in, in most respects. But I think um, it's worth underscoring that there have been some personnel deficiencies and getting an offense to run, to click, is a lot more complex than, well, we got conservative or we got aggressive or he's just dumb now. So, I mean, what were your thoughts on the whole debate right. over Eddie Gran, and, and maybe chime in on that. Well, you know, there were moments like
1: there will be in any given season with any coordinator that I scratched my head over, you know, some of the decisions that, that Kentucky made at times, but overall, I, I felt like he was probably a little too criticized at times, and people overlook factors that When he was trying to open it up and trying to be balanced and trying to take shots down the field, Kentucky got into a little bit of a a rut midway through the season of a bad offensive line penalty, a breakdown in protection, a busted route, or you know a bad throw, off timing, anything and everything. It seemed like when Eddie Graham was trying to be that guy that the fans wanted. Yeah. was kind of setting them back and putting them behind the chains where where they really weren't built to operate Yep. and, and what you saw towards the end of the season and, and those last two a lot cleaner games for Kentucky a lot fewer mistakes on the offensive side of the ball and you know that's the same Eddie Graham in the Louisville game that, that he has been most of his career it just was a matter of execution in my you know my belief was that Kentucky's players made those plays and and made him look a lot better. And had they done that at times during the regular season uh, in other games, uh, maybe fans wouldn't
0: have been, you know, so crusty about their offensive coordinator. Yeah. The offense is going to have to carry a big part of the load next season. Because, I mean, I think I I can kind of – tell the the narrative and understandably so i don't think that's without merit the narrative in the offseason is going to be can the offense pick up whatever slack the defense leaves behind with the departure of josh allen josh allen was one of the big reasons the secondary improved as much as they did but i I think we just go ahead and, and point out that the front seven could still be it could be a pretty good group next year i mean even if you take allen out you're adding Pascal back bohanna Guy like Marquand McCall, Chris Oates, DeAndre Square. Not, I mean, they're young guys, but the only thing they were missing, and they they have been missing, is experience. I mean, those are guys that when they hit their stride, it should be a quality deep front seven for Kentucky. What's your take? We we still got to go through the bowl game, but uh, what kind of step back do you think the defense makes? I don't think that it's going to be the number one scoring defense in the country. You know, when November rolls around. But uh, you, you still feel pretty pretty good about the group they've got. Yeah, I, I think they'll
1: they'll definitely have to take a, a little bit of a step back in, in some capacity. Uh, they're just losing way too many uh, veterans over there, and, and people tend to forget about the secondary because they're not they
0: don't have guys with those superstar profiles, right?
1: out there like a a Josh Allen, or the personalities of maybe like the linebackers, you know, with with Cash and and, and Jordan in there that attracted a lot of attention because of just the way they carry themselves. But you're talking about guys on the back end that just performed game after game after game all season long and and came up with uh, uh, big plays. I think they'll be the hardest part to replace, but the guys on the front seven and you mentioned a bunch of those names uh, going through them. A lot of those guys remind me, potentially, uh, athletically, uh, work ethic-wise, of young Josh Allen. And like you said, they just need that time
0: to develop and maybe become that next guy mm-hmm. like him to lead the team.
1: I, I could see a guy like Oates, you know, being the next star. I could see if, if Josh Pascal totally gets past... Uh, You know, his melanoma scare and and, and returns to 100% health and and what he's capable of being. A lot of people going into this season thought he could be their best defensive player before we learned uh, about the health problem that was uh, nagging him. So there are a lot of, you know, pieces there to work with that Matt House won't be dealing, you know, with a completely empty
0: deck. Absolutely. And uh, I think they're going to have a couple of recruiting decisions in the next little while with uh, J.J. Weaver and Jared Casey. Add those two guys to the front seven talent they've got that's young in the program right now, and that forecast only gets better. So, Jeff, I appreciate you joining us, man. Have a good night, all right? All right. Thanks, Justin. Thanks. That was Jeff Drummond chiming in, as always. Uh, He does a fantastic job. And I mentioned uh, those two recruiting situations decisions are going to be coming up. But before I get to that, I did want to remind you that Cats Illustrated is partnering with Canfield Realty Group. And they're offering a 40% commission rebate. That's the current deal when you buy a home with Steve Canfield as your agent. No strings, 100% legal. Uh, We're proud to have Canfield Realty Group as a Cats Illustrated sponsor. And I'm telling you about this because we think they're offering something of interest to our community. Uh, he's got a perfect five-star rating on a lot of reviews, on a lot of sales in the last year at Zillow. You can check his website, canfieldrealtygroup.com, canfieldrealtygroup.com, or call Steve Canfield directly, 502-649-5687. That's 502-649-5687. Go to the website, read the reviews. It's legit. You can take that money that you save from that commission rebate and put it in the house. Do whatever you want with it. He's been working in real estate for 41 years. Steve Canfield, 3,400 properties sold, ranked in the top 10 out of 3,500 agents in the Louisville area. So uh, we're proud to partner with him, and we are grateful for his sponsorship of this site. Get his message out, and he helps us get our message out. So please check him out if you've been thinking about buying a home or if that piques your curiosity a little bit. I did want to uh, mention Jared Casey. We broke the story tonight that the four-star linebacker from Louisville, who had previously been committed to Oregon, uh, there really wasn't much of an indication that he was going to he was going to flip or open things back up. You got to remember, I thought it was going to be Kentucky for the longest time, and then kind of over the the. Two days, three days leading up to his decision, that kind of became some uncertainty. Kentucky didn't know what he was going to do. And then finally, um, kind of everybody got word that he wanted an edit made for Oregon. And I didn't know if that was misdirection or not, but he seemed like he was pretty solid with uh, Oregon. Maybe Kentucky's 9-3 and three season is just paying off. I know Vince Morrow, um, Matt House, Brad White went and did an in-home visit with him, and this decommitment comes on the heels of that. There are going to be some people who point out that Oregon's recruiter for, uh, for Casey Dennison, I want to say, was on Jeff Brom's staff at Western Kentucky. I wouldn't put too much stock into that. Everything that I've heard indicates that this is probably gonna be Kentucky. It's not I haven't said it's a done deal, but I think all the signs point in Kentucky's direction. JJ Weaver, the four star edge defender, also from Louisville, will be making his decision on Friday at three thirty PM. He's got Kentucky, Louisville, Cincinnati, Purdue, Tennessee, and Miami on his list. I would say of those schools, you know, at one point it looked like Weaver was probably going to be heading to Purdue. But he visited Kentucky. Kentucky season went very well. I mean, maybe for no player no other player did Kentucky's season probably make as much of an impact. Because not only did he see nine nine wins, and as a as an in state guy, he saw what a local football program could become. But they beat Florida in Florida. He's from Florida. They've got probably a top 10, top 15 pick, Josh Allen, who plays the game, not identically to, but similar to the way that he plays. With Allen's departure, there's a bit of a void, and uh, he knows other guys are going to be leaving in the next year or two, and and Kentucky needs that pass-rushing prowess. So, I mean, just opportunity and timing really helping with Weaver right now, I mean, if they if Kentucky lands Casey and Weaver to go along with Wandale Robinson, Demonte Crooms, Eli Cox and Sean Kilnighoff in the state, that's a phenomenal in-state haul even with Heron and Lacey and Bulls and Hudson going elsewhere, the the trend, the narrative will be completely different. They will have uh, they will have reversed that. They will they will have a very impressive recruiting class. I think right now the class is probably a little bit underrated. In terms of people's perception but the ranking does not bear that out but if you're looking at them going on a run of commitments from the likes of wandale robinson jared casey jj weaver then all of a sudden it's i mean it's not bringing up the rear when we're ranking Stoops' classes at kentucky it's right there with a lot of impressive players at the top so we'll be on top of that if you're not yet a member of cats illustrated uh i highly recommend that you join community of the house of blue is very strong and i really appreciate everybody there and the conversation uh, that we have that goes on every day uh keep it dialed in check check us out we're going to have a lot more content reviewing the regular season this week all the stuff leading up to signing day in december official visits that are going to be coming up we're going to have more on that soon Can Kentucky keep Wandale Robinson, Torres Payne, Kayvon Butler? Uh, It's just a whole lot to monitor. Thanks again, guys. Have a great night.